And I'm Caitlin, and today is our first installment of TLDR, or Too Long Didn't Read. And we are going to be discussing The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. For all of you high schoolers who are having to read this, this one's for you. Yeah, so this is... TLDR to us is going to kind of focus on these more classic uh, novels and other literature that's selected for like no one wants to read high school classes, (laughs) introductory college classes. So yeah, if you want us to read it for you, we'll give you a synopsis and kind of go over some things that might be helpful. I'm going to be wholly honest. I didn't even read this the first time. Not going to lie, Vicki Meyer, like so sorry, but (laughs) she didn't read it until it was uh, something for the podcast. So just know how, how special you all are. Yeah. This is all some fresh info for me too. (laughs) All right. So we are going to start with as always the synopsis and, uh, I'm just going to jump right into it. Yeah. So the narrator introduces himself to the reader as a member of the prominent Caraway family. The year is 1922 and he has recently moved to the East coast to work in the stock market. He lives in a like tiny little rundown bungalow in West Egg, which is a small oval shaped island just east of New York. And he lives next door to this enormous mansion and he knows it belongs to a man named Gatsby, but he's never met him. And then across the bay, there is another similarly shaped island called East Egg. And there's another mansion that's owned by Tom Buchanan and his wife, Daisy. And Daisy is a distant cousin of the narrator. Yes. So one evening, our narrator goes over to their home for dinner. Um, And Tom is basically described as like this really big, intimidating, gruff man. It's like your typical himbo. Um, And (laughs) Daisy is basically the opposite. She's very warm and inviting to everybody. And everyone is drawn in by her smile and her attitude. Um, And when the narrator arrives, they have another guest there as well, Miss Baker. Um, And Daisy and Tom ask what he's doing there. And he tells them that he is about to start his work in bonds. Um, And we learn that the narrator's name is Nick, Nick Carraway. Miss Baker actually recognizes Nick from living in the West Egg. And she's like, do you know Gatsby? And Daisy, she acts kind of weird. And she's like, what Gatsby are you talking about? But they are actually interrupted before Miss Baker can explain because dinner is ready. So they end up making some small talk and then Tom leaves the table to take a phone call. Daisy kind of acts a little bit weird and then excuses herself. And then Miss Baker is like, okay, so that's totally Tom's mistress. He has a mistress in New York and Daisy knows about it. And so that's why she went to follow him. And when they come back, Daisy just acts like nothing is wrong. Nothing is bothering her. And so Nick thinks it's a little weird. Yeah. So after like a super effing weird dinner and phone call, um, everything kind of goes back to normal. And then after that, Daisy and Tom asked Nick whether he was engaged out West. And he was like, uh, no. And they're like, I'm pretty sure we heard that. And he's like, nope, it's just a rumor. Um, and when Nick returns home, he sits outside for a little bit and he sees a figure come outside and it's Gatsby who comes to look across the water on his beach. Um, and Nick decides not to disturb him just to kind of watch him. And he follows his gaze across the water to see a single green light at the end of the dock. And when he looks back, Gatsby has disappeared. On Nick's commute into the city for work, there is this place called the Valley of Ashes. And in the Valley of Ashes, there's a giant billboard of a pair of eyes wearing spectacles to advertise the practice of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. 
And uh, there's a little bit of a halt when the drawbridge goes up. So because of that, Nick actually runs into Tom and Tom insists that he comes to meet his mistress. And Nick is like, please, no. For the love of God. (laughs) I don't want any part of it. But Tom gets his way. Uh, He is not a man who is told waited. Yeah. So (laughs) they go to this garage and it's owned by a man named George Wilson. And Mr. Wilson's wife comes down to meet with Tom and Tom's like, Hey baby, get on the next train. I want to see you. And then Nick is like, um, what the fuck? And Tom's like, don't worry. Her husband thinks she's always going to meet with her sister. So he's none the wiser. Yeah. So poor Nick tries to leave like so many times, tries to excuse himself (laughs) away. And Tom is like, no, we're, we're going to this apartment and you're coming with me and Myrtle. Um, And so they actually end up inviting a few more guests over and they have a bunch of drinks together and um, he buys her a dog, which was super weird. Um, (laughs) Not an important part of the story, but um, the guests all gossip about Tom and Myrtle leaving their spouses and eloping because it's very clear that they both despise their spouses more Myrtle than Tom, but they're not happy with each other's situations. And then later Tom and Myrtle are arguing about whether she has the right to say Daisy's name and which is very back and forth of them. Um, And she mockingly repeats them over and over and over. And Tom hits her and breaks her nose. So everyone kind of awkwardly leaves that party. Um, And the story just kind of goes on. And the the narrator, who's Nick, explains that every weekend Gatsby throws massive parties and people aren't even invited. They just like show up because these parties are an every week thing. And so one day Nick receives a formal invitation to attend that night's party. So he goes and he asks around like if anyone has seen Gatsby and they all just kind of like laugh at him and they're like, no. And so he sees Miss Baker there and her first name is Jordan. So he goes over to talk to her because that's like the only person he recognizes. And some other ladies come up to her because they want to talk to her about this golf tournament she was in. And then they start gossiping. Well, gasping, gasping. (laughs) They start gossiping about Gatsby. And one of them even says, like, I heard he killed a man once. Like these rumors about Gatsby are out of control. So eventually a man approaches Nick and tells him that he recognizes him from the war. And Nick's like, yeah, you might be a little familiar. I mean, he then invites him to try out his new hydroplane on the water tomorrow morning. And he learns that this new acquaintance is actually Gatsby, the one and only. And Gatsby (laughs) asks to speak um, to Miss Jordan alone. And Nick kind of just people watches for a little bit. That's all like his main role is that he just watches everything that happens in his life. Um, And he observes the dramatic reaction of a woman who is mad at her husband and always makes her leave early from parties. So no one wants to be the first person to leave these parties. It's very like unpopular and like you are a freaking loser if you do. Yeah. Everyone is so obsessed with their social image. And Nick is realizing that as he watches these people. Like an hour later, Jordan comes out and she is just like thrilled about the conversation she had. And Gatsby's like, all right, Nick, I'll see you in the morning. And Nick walks outside. He sees some drunk idiot has wrecked their car. A wheel fell off. And they're just like, I think I could drive it still. And he is like, this is an absolute shit what a show. Shit show. <laughs> he just kind of turns around back toward the mansion he's leaving. And Gatsby just kind of waves goodnight and disappears inside. And Nick's like, all right, then. 
Yeah, he's like, yep, totally normal thing that happens every weekend. Um, so Nick explains to the reader that these eventful evenings all happened a few weeks apart throughout the summer. And most of the time he was working um, with his bond business that his father fronted him on. Um, so it's a new venture. And he spent more time with Jordan Baker and actually ended up falling in love with her. And Nick lists all the wealthy people that he sees that go to Gatsby's parties, which is a lot of wealthy people. It's so many. And like, it was such a useless to, chapter. <laughs> if you want to know their names, you can look it up. But it's it has no relevance. I promise you. Um, he's just like, I'm going to list all of these people for you. I was like, hey, so, Scott, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, honestly, uh, it was a little bit too much detail. So one day Gatsby comes to pick Nick up and he's like, we're going to lunch. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. So in the car, Gatsby is telling him, um, I come from a wealthy family and they're all dead now. And I went to Oxford and I lived super extravagantly for a little while, but uh, I was just trying to forget something sad that happened to me a long time ago. And then I fought in the war and then I I met you and Nick's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, wow, you're a liar. He tells Nick he tried really hard to die in the war, but it didn't work. And Nick is like, I am assaulted right now with information. And so he's like, Nick, I'm telling you all this about me because I'm going to ask you a favor later today. And so I wanted to get to know you a little bit better. And Nick's like, okay. He's like, I I wish you had it, but fine. Yeah, it is so bizarre. And so Gatsby tells Nick that Jordan has consented to tell Nick something this afternoon when they plan to meet her for tea. And Nick is super annoyed because he has no interest in talking about Gatsby with Jordan. And he also did not invite her for tea. And so Gatsby's basically telling him like, hey, you're taking Jordan out. Um, And (laughs) at lunch, Gatsby introduces Nick to Mr. Wolfsheim. And Mr. Wolfsheim apparently has known him for years and thinks he's just a very upstanding citizen. And Gatsby apologizes for annoying Nick earlier. Nick explains that he doesn't like mysteries and doesn't know why he has to wait for Jordan to tell him some big secret when Gatsby clearly is already in on it. Mr. Wolfsheim ends up excusing himself. Nick asks, who was that guy? And Gatsby's like, yeah, he's a gambler. And Nick's like, oh, and he's like, yeah, he's the one who fixed the World Series in 1919. And Nick's like, how could you possibly do that? But he gets distracted because... Tom walks in and Tom walks over and Nick like sees Gatsby make kind of a weird face, but he's like, whatever. And Tom starts interrogating him. He's like, where have you been? Daisy misses you. Come over for lunch. And he's like, okay. Um, And he turns to introduce Gatsby to Tom, but Gatsby is nowhere to be found. Yeah. So he dips. Um, And so Nick goes to meet Jordan for tea and she tells him a story. In 1917, she was walking past Daisy's house when she was called over to meet Gatsby. So Gatsby was in the war and they were chilling in his in Daisy's car middle of summer in Louisville. She didn't see Daisy for a while because she was busy with all of her golf tournaments, but there was rumor that she had been prevented from saying goodbye to a soldier by her family and became very distraught, which Jordan lived a very enchanted life and couldn't care less about anything that happened. So yeah, she's just like, yep, sex to be you. She's like, I don't really care about my friends, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So by the time she saw Daisy again, she was engaged to Tom to get married. And Jordan was like, yeah, I was a bridesmaid and Daisy got super drunk before the bridal dinner and told me that like, I needed to tell everyone that she changed her mind, but she's like, well, the next day she ended up marrying him anyway. 
And Jordan realized the other day when Daisy was like, what Gatsby do you mean? That it's the same Gatsby that Daisy was seeing five years ago. So Jordan's like, man, I got the tea on that one. Yeah. So Jordan explains that Gatsby living here is no coincidence. And he wanted to live close to Daisy after being separated for five years. Um, And Jordan tells Nick that Gatsby has requested that he invite Daisy over for tea so that he can show up and invite her to see his own house, which Nick is like, why couldn't he just ask me? And she was like, because he he was nervous. (laughs) (laughs) And Nick is like, fine, because Gatsby has really been nothing but nice to Nick. And so he agrees to do this for him. So a couple days later, he asks Daisy to come over for tea and he's like, don't bring Tom. And so uh, Daisy's like, Ooh, why couldn't I bring my husband? Like, are you secretly in love with me? Which gross. Which is weird. Yeah. (laughs) But then Gatsby knocks on the door and pretends to have no idea that she was going to be there. Um, So they have an awkward little reunion. Then Gatsby, he just panics and he's like, Nick, I I need to speak with you alone. And so Nick's like, calm down. You're just embarrassed. Daisy's embarrassed too. go back out there and get your girl. So after giving them a bit of privacy, Nick finally walks out and he is like, Gatsby is is happening. So happy. He's glowing with happiness. And Daisy is wiping like tears of joy from her face. And Gatsby's like, okay, y'all are both coming over to my crib. Like, let's go. Let's go get the tour. Gatsby walks him over. He has to take like the main entrance because he wants her to see this house in full glory. And Daisy's like, oh my God, what a beautiful home. And Gatsby mentions that it took him three years to save up for this house. And Nick is really confused because he thought that he had inherited his fortune from some previous ancestor and Gatsby says he's did, but he lost a lot of money during the war. And Nick's like, okay, what do you, what do you do for work? And Gatsby's like, uh, that is none of your business. And he's like, but also, uh, I was in drugs and he was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I was in drugs and oil, but I'm not anymore. And so Nick kind of lets it go. And Gatsby watches and wonder as Daisy takes in all the extravagances of the home. Cause she's very shallow and that's all she cares about. Um, and then they go outside and he tells her that if it wasn't for the mist, they could see her house across the bay, which is where there's a little green light. He tells her that he can see her little green light. Um, and Nick goes home and leaves them at Gatsby's house. We learn that Jay Gatsby is actually named James Gats. And James was working as a fisherman when a yacht docked owned by Dan Cody. So Cody hired Gatsby, who he like already had his fake name prepared. He was like, yep, nice to meet you, Dan Cody. My name's Jay Gatsby. And so he hires him to work on his ship and they become close over the next five years when Cody mysteriously dies after like there there had been multiple women after his fortune apparently and um so when cody died gatsby was meant to inherit his money but it instead went to cody's mistress who potentially might have murdered him so (laughs) nick writes this like to the reader and he says that he wants to clear up any misconceptions or rumors about gatsby's beginnings yeah so we actually don't know this about him yet but nick is writing this like from a future standpoint about this summer. So Nick goes a few weeks without seeing or talking to Gatsby because he's spending all his time with Daisy. And the next time he's at his house, Tom and a couple other people show up for drinks and a man named Mr. Sloan had invited Tom there, which was like super sus, but okay. And so Gatsby points out that they actually met a couple weeks ago when he was out with Nick. And he also tells Tom that he knows his wife. And Tom was like, "Mm, 
how do you know my wife? And like kind of brushes it off and Gatsby does his little Gatsby thing and, you know, goes around the question without answering it. Um, so Tom brushes him off and then asks Nick if he lives near here. And Nick replies, yeah, I live like right next door. <laughs> yeah, Tom, you dick, you never come over. So there's also like a lady with them, uh, with Tom and Mr. Sloan. And I don't really know her relation. I don't know if it's Mr. Sloan's wife. I don't know. So she invites Nick and Gatsby to come over for dinner. And Gatsby's like, yeah, like, but I don't have a horse because they were all on horseback. And so he's (laughs) like, I'll just follow you in my car. Give me a minute. And so Nick goes out with the other three people on the porch. And Tom is telling Nick, Gatsby won't even know anyone there. And he shouldn't go. And I don't like him. And he won't fit in with my friends. And uh, he's like, I also like, where could Daisy have met such a weird man? Like, he's so bizarre. And so Gatsby takes a little long getting ready. I don't know what he's doing, combing his hair, but they can't wait any longer. So they ride off before he has a chance to follow them to dinner. So Nick points out that Tom must have been bothered by the thought of Daisy knowing Gatsby because he came with her to a party the very next Saturday. Um, and at the end of the evening, Tom asked Nick it, or Tom asked Nick and Daisy if Gatsby is a bootlegger. Um, and Daisy is like super offended and says that he owned drugstores. And she's like not having a very good time because it's very much like a new money type party. And they're very old money people like used to a little more sophisticated gatherings. And so they're just very uncomfortable. Um, And so they leave and Nick stays to talk with Gatsby when the party's over. Gatsby's really bummed because he's like, Daisy didn't have fun at all at this party. And he wants her to leave Tom for him. And Gatsby says that he could never love another woman after kissing Daisy five years ago. So yeah, like you kissed this lady five years ago. (laughs) She must be magical. Wow. Um, and Nick does mention at the beginning of the book, like how charming Daisy is. Yeah. So I guess she just really stole his heart. Um, so when curiosity about Gatsby was at its highest, because all of these people are like, who is this man? Like he is just this young man with new money who just randomly moved here and started throwing these parties. And um, people are wondering, rumors are flying, but he doesn't have a party that week, which is really weird. And so Nick talks to Gatsby on the phone. He's like, hey, uh, are you okay? And it turns out he's replaced all of his house staff because he wants people to work for him who won't gossip about Daisy coming over. And he tells Nick that Daisy wants him to go to her house for lunch tomorrow. So he's like delivering a message on Daisy's behalf. So the next day, Nick and Gatsby go to the Buchanan's house for lunch. Um, And Jordan's there as well because she's, for some reason, always there. Um, And Daisy is like, I would love for you all to see my child that we all just conveniently forget about this entire (laughs) book. And so Daisy has her nanny bring in her three-year-old daughter for her friends and is like, do a little spin for us, like, (laughs) hello, and then sends her right back off again with the nanny. So it's like a super weird gathering. And Gatsby points out that his house is across the bay to Tom. He's like, yep, you can see it right over there. And Daisy says that she wants to all go to town together because she's feeling very awkward about everything. So that was like her distraction. She's like, let's go into town. Um, And so Tom watches as Gatsby and Daisy make just lovey eyes at each other. And he doesn't say anything, but his temper shifts. And he's starting to get very angry. And he's like, yeah, 
let's freaking do it. Let's go to town. And Daisy's like, "Mm, maybe we shouldn't. He's like, nope, we're freaking going. Like I'll bring the alcohol. And so Tom tries to get Daisy to ride with him in Gatsby's car because he's like, let me drive your stupid piece of car. Like, and you can drive my car. And Daisy's (laughs) like, no, I'll just ride with Gatsby. And so he's pissed off about that. Um, And so instead, Tom drives Jordan and Nick in Gatsby's car while Daisy and Gatsby follow behind them in Tom's car. (laughs) Yeah, makes total sense. So Tom on the ride there is telling Nick and Jordan, he's like, I think Gatsby's a liar. I think he's lying about his past. And they are just like rolling their eyes. They're like, please, Tom. And as they're passing under Dr. TJ Eckelberg's sign, they remember, oh, Gatsby mentioned the car might need gas. So Nick is like, hey, we should really stop. And they stop at Mr. Wilson's garage to fill up. And so Wilson comes out and asks Tom, like, hey, are you finally going to sell me your old car? Because I see you have this new car and I really need the money because my wife and I want to move out west. And Tom is like, your wife wants to move. And Wilson is like, well, I just learned something crazy a couple of days ago. And I am insisting that we move away. Like, we have to get out of here. So Nick looks up to the window above the garage and Myrtle is just staring down from the window at Jordan. And she looks furious because she confuses Jordan for Daisy. And she is just looking at her filled with jealousy. And this is when the whole story just gets to be an absolute clusterfuck. So they all meet up in the parlor of a hotel because they just can't decide where they want to go. And they decide to have some drinks together. And so after arguing about stupid fucking ice and drinks for 45 minutes, um, Tom (laughs) complains that Daisy is being really annoying and Gatsby defends her and things get super tense. And Tom teases Gatsby about calling everyone old sport. He's like, why do you call everyone old sport? Doesn't make sense. Where'd you pick that up from? Um, (laughs) And Tom asks Gatsby if he's really an Oxford man because he wears these obnoxious colored suits. And he's like, no Oxford man would do that. And Gatsby explains that he only went there for five months after getting home from the war because they have like this placement system, I guess, for them. Yeah, I guess kind of like a GI Bill or I don't know when that originated. But Daisy tries to get Tom to just like have a drink and chill out. And this (laughs) this is what really pushes Tom over the edge. He's like, chill out with the guy who is banging my wife. And Gatsby is like, hey, Tom, Daisy loves me. She never loved you. And Tom freaks out and he insists Daisy absolutely (laughs) loved him when they got married. And he's like, sometimes, yeah, I mess up. I take an occasional mistress. And Daisy is like, yeah, you do. And that's like, but I always come back to you. Yeah. And she's like, you want to tell them about your mistress in Chicago? Like, that's why we had to move here. You disgust (laughs) me. It goes from zero to a hundred. Yeah. Like all of a sudden it's just an absolute like psycho mess. And so then Gatsby asked Daisy to say that she never loved Tom. And she's like, yeah, I I didn't love Tom, but Tom calls her on her bullshit. And so she tells Gatsby that he's asking too much from her. Like, how could she possibly tell her husband that she doesn't love him? You crazy person. And says she can't help that she loved Tom once too, but she loves Gatsby now, but she'll always love Tom a little bit too. And Daisy insists to Tom that she's leaving and for Gatsby and Tom reveals that he makes his money illegally selling alcohol. And Daisy's like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? And she's like, you're selling alcohol illegally? I thought you were in drugs. Yeah, I thought you were in. Well, I think they mean like 
like, like, drug like drugstores. Like, yeah. <laughs> which he did have drugstores, but they were friends for selling alcohol. <laughs> yeah, he was up to some shady shit. And Tom definitely looked into With it. With Mr. Wolfshine. Like, Absolutely not. Yes. And so Gatsby is like, oh, well, your friend Walter Chase wasn't too proud to work for me. And Tom's like, yeah, and you let him go to jail. And Tom is also saying that Gatsby is up to see something even worse now because Walter is too afraid to even tell him about it. And Daisy defends Gatsby against the accusations. She's like, there's no way this is true. Like, I love Gatsby. And Tom's like, yeah, whatever. Have him drive you home. I think that Gatsby knows that this whole little situation is over. So those two leave. So we then learned that a young man named Michaelis found George Wilson extremely sick in his office and he heard a bunch of crazy loud noises upstairs. And Wilson was like, yeah, I got my wife locked up there. Like, no biggie. She's going to be there for a few days. And then we're moving. And Michaelis was like, <laughs> okay, but what? Like, why? <laughs> uh, but for some reason, he just like doesn't follow up on that. He's like, well, man, you know, I'm not going to get up all up in your business. Like you take care of your house. I'm going to take care of mine. He comes back outside a couple hours later and here's Mrs. Wilson yelling for her husband to just beat her because he's a little weenie of a man and then like takes off running out of the building and she like runs into the street where she's hit and killed by a car that just like keeps on driving. Tom, Jordan, and Nick are driving up on the garage and they see that something's going on. There's a wreck. And then Tom sees that everyone is kind of out at the garage. And so he gets out of the car. He sees Myrtle's dead body and demands to know what happened. And they explain she was killed in a hit and run by a new yellow car, according to witnesses. And so Mr. Wilson is livid to see Tom because he had just been driving that kind of car earlier when he stopped for gas. And so Tom explains to him, that's not my car. I'm back in my own car now. Like you can ask anyone. We just drove in from New York. And he's like, uh, I, I know who owns that car though. And, uh, you can look into him. And so when they continue their drive back home, Tom starts crying and he's like, Gatsby is a coward. He didn't even stop his car. Yeah, Gatsby's the coward. No coward. <laughs> um, so they get home and Nick tells Jordan that he really wants to be alone because he's processing a lot. Like this night has just been emotionally and mentally draining for poor Nick. Um, and he finds Gatsby outside of Daisy and Tom's home, just creeping about her windows. Um, and he learns that Daisy was actually the one driving the car. And he doesn't know if Daisy's going to tell Tom that. She doesn't. Um but he just wants to make sure that she's okay. Um, but the woman was coming towards their car like she wanted to talk to them because, again, she thought Jordan was Tom's lover. And she's going to confront them because she saw Tom in that car earlier. Um, and Daisy tried to swerve the car towards an oncoming car but got scared and then swore back and was like yep this is the better of the two and like hit the whim- the woman and like just kept going because she was freaked out um and so Gatsby's just staring at the Buchanan's house not sure you know what to do just making sure no commotion breaks out Tom doesn't go like absolutely ape shit on Daisy so Nick offers to go check on them and then like walks up to their window and is like looking through but see that Tom and Daisy are just like really calmly talking and having like a normal conversation at the table together Yep, just shooting the shit together. Shooting the shit. So the next morning, really early, Nick goes over to check on Gatsby at his house. And Nick is like, hey, you might want to like go away or something in case they trace your car. 
And Gatsby's like, no, I won't leave Daisy until she decides what she's going to do. So this is the, the time that Gatsby tells Nick all about Dan Cody. And when he first met Daisy and one of Gatsby's servants comes up and he's like, Hey, I'm going to drain the pool today because it's like just now turning into autumn. And Gatsby is like, no, wait, because I didn't get to use it all summer. So Nick is like, hey, I got to go to work, but I'm going to call around noon to check in on you and see how you're doing. So after working for a while, Jordan calls Nick while he's at work and they have this argument about like, I don't know, about nothing. They're just like, they're both fed up with each other. Like we're done. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, they went through a lot the previous night. So they're just like, you know what? This isn't working. And after that, he realizes it's noon. So he tries to call Gatsby, but the line is busy. And meanwhile, George Wilson is grieving his recently dead wife. And he tells Michaelis that she had been seeing a man and had just, he had just found out about it like a few nights before. Um, And he concludes that the man in the yellow car is who she was seeing and he murdered her. And so George went from garage to garage asking about the yellow car and then finally figured out who it belonged to. um, And then was like, Hey, show me the way to Mr. Gatsby's house. So meanwhile, Gatsby's at home and he is going to swim in his pool. So he tells the butler, hey, if anyone calls, come tell me because I'm expecting some very important phone calls. So the chauffeur later on, like, hears gunshots, but like doesn't go to investigate, which is weird, I think. And so it isn't until Nick is like something's wrong and like comes running up the stairs that a few of the servants like follow Nick down toward the pool And they find Gatsby's body dead in the pool. And Wilson's body was dead a little ways off in the grass. Yeah, so it was a murder-suicide. And Nick tried to call Daisy and tell her, you know, that Gatsby's dead and that she needs to come to the funeral. And he learns that Tom and Daisy packed up their shit and left without any word. And um, they didn't say where they were going or for how long. They told nobody. Um, So Nick picks up the phone and someone who worked for Gatsby was trying to talk to him. And he tells him that, hey, Gatsby's dead. Like, please stop calling here. Yeah. And poor Nick this whole time is honestly like in a state of shock. Like he was kind of in denial that Gatsby was dead at first because I don't know. He's like, not like the great Gatsby, not the man like made of sunshine himself. He can't be dead. This guy, he's larger than life. So soon after, like, I think a few days later, a telegram arrives from Henry C. Gatz, who is Gatsby's father. So he had seen his son's death in the newspaper. And Nick is like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know how to reach you, but I've already arranged the funeral. So Mr. Gatz comes, or yeah, Mr. Gatz comes and asks, were you good friends with Nick? And Nick's like, yeah, we were really close friends. So that night, Nick answers another call from some wealthy man who attended many of Gatsby's parties. His name is Clip Springer. And he is like, oh, thank God. Like, then there will be another friend at Gatsby's grave because like he cannot get a hold of anyone to come to this funeral. And the caller is like, um, actually, I am busy that day, but I'm calling because I accidentally left a pair of shoes there and I want them back. And Nick literally just hangs up on him. Like he is so done with these people. Yeah. And like, this is a dude who's literally been living in Gatsby's home for like months. (laughs) 
And he's like, ah, yeah, no, actually, I'm just trying to get my shit. And so the next morning, Nick goes to see Mr. Wolfshine because he's been trying to get a hold of him. And the dude's just like, yeah, so sorry. I'm very busy. I cannot talk to you. Um, And he finally gets to him and asks him to come to the funeral that afternoon. But Wolfshine insists that he doesn't like to get caught up in stuff like this when men are killed, even though he's a shady piece of shit. Um, and he literally like earlier in the book was like, yep, I've attended all of my dead friends funerals. He's like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Um, and the only people that showed up to the funeral were Nick and Mr. Gatz. And then at the cemetery, a man who Nick met once at Gatsby's party showed up. Um, and he was the only person who paid his respects. He's like, what a damn shame. Like this house used to be just like full of people. Yeah, he was like, I really liked these parties. That sucks. So Nick makes the decision that he is going to move back home since now the East just feels haunted for him. So before leaving, he meets up with Jordan to say goodbye. She is like, I'm mad at you because of that last phone call we had and how we ended things. And you weren't honest with me like about the truth because she somehow, I think, found out that Daisy was the one who was actually driving that day. Um, so Nick is like, Jordan, you're not the victim. Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And Jordan's (laughs) like a compulsive liar and like lies about literally everything. So it's like, yeah, it's pretty fresh coming from you. Yeah. Um, so one day before Nick leaves for back home, he runs into Tom on the street and he asks what Tom said to Wilson that day. And because, and Tom gets like super defensive and says that Gatsby ran over Myrtle, like you'd run over a dog and never stopped his car. And Nick's like, that's not true. But Tom goes on about his like share of suffering due to the incident. Nick's like, you're a dumb piece of shit. Um, And he realizes that Daisy and Tom are just like super careless, immature, vapid people. And he is super glad to never talk to them again because they suck. Um, And Nick spends his last night in the East outside Gatsby's house. He sat there and thought of, Gatsby's wonder when he first saw the green light at the end of Daisy's dock and he compares it to all of us being ships floating in the sea it's a very dumb novel very uninteresting novel in my opinion um so yeah overall thoughts and ratings uh like two out of ten uh that's fair I to me it's just like average I didn't hate it It's fine to me. It's like the only reason I would rate it higher than that is because it's so short. So I feel like it doesn't waste a whole lot of my time. Yeah. But it's just like, it's like F. Scott Fitzgerald was like, let me think of every word I have ever learned that is larger than like six letters. And I'm going to put it in this book and it's going to be up to you to figure out what the fuck I'm trying to say. And it's hilarious because the whole thing is like a commentary about like how like pretentious people suck. And then he writes He's like writing that. in such like a pretentious <laughs> way. I'm just like, my <laughs> God, like use like English. Like, I don't know what you're trying to say. And my thing is, okay, so this was written in the 30s. I don't know if this sort of commentary was like unheard of and profound at the time, but like in my opinion, it is absolutely not news to me that people who are born into like rich, like privileged lives grow up to be assholes. Well, like, and duh. I think that was like the whole thing too. Cause like F Scott Fitzgerald grew up poor and he like, he was poor until he met Zelda and they were poor after that. And like, I think 
he knew like he knows firsthand like how careless like rich people are um but I think it was like more like dividing like the new money versus the old money and how new money is like very reckless with everything but they're still like I don't know like they still have that pretentiousness to them but not the way like old money does like old money can get away with whatever they want to their pieces of shit like they don't care about anything and they know they don't have to care about anything so I think it's more just like a commentary on like the wealthy people in the United States. <laughs> That's fair too, that it, yeah, that it's more new money versus old money. Cause that is a, obviously a big theme um, because Gatsby, I mean, he didn't even care about wealth to be honest. Like he only cared he, about it because Daisy cared about it. Yeah. He only cared about Daisy. So Gatsby would have been perfectly happy to be a poor man married to Daisy, but Daisy would never want that. So he became wealthy. Um, even because though he didn't care about wealth, like Daisy most likely was not going to get back with Gatsby, even though he said all those, you know, pretty words to her and stuff until he brought her over to his house. Did she have like such like a strong reaction to him? Yeah. I feel like my list of things that I liked <laughs> and disliked is like, it's, it's there was not short. enough book to like say for sure. <laughs> you know, what I, you know what I liked? I liked how fucking interesting everyone was at these parties. And I thought they were all having a really great time and I'm really happy for them. Yeah, they were like just that one chapter that we talked about that was like, here's this rich person and he does this and this. They like, they actually have interesting backstories. It's just not relevant, but yeah, it's cool. I'm glad they were having fun. Yeah, I'm really um, happy for you guys. I liked Nick. <laughs> I like Nick was Nick fine. <laughs> I like this quote from Jordan at the beginning of the book. It's when Nick first goes to a party and she says, I like large parties. They're so intimate at small parties. There isn't any privacy. And I was like, that is honestly, that's so true. Yeah, that's fair. I love that. Um, And then I also, I love Gatsby calling everyone old sport. I know Tom hated it, but I love it. Well, I love it because it's literally what he thinks will make him sound like old money. Because, like, that was his whole thing. It's like, like, (laughs) there were so many times throughout the book where, like, Nick was like, it almost looked like he needed to, like, pause and think about, like, what he was going to say next. Or, like, he had to choose his words very carefully. And it's like, yeah, because he has no freaking clue, like, what he's saying. And so he just throws old sport on at the end of it because he's like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, he's like, it's called acting sweaty. Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> um, I also really, something I did like about the book was like what Nick chose to focus on in like the books. Like he like pinpointed just the weirdest like things about people or like tended to like focus on like parts of the story that did not even matter. So like whenever they went to Myrtle and Tom's apartment that they had in New York, um, how they were talking about how that dude and his wife were there and like how he was like a photographer and his wife kept trying to get him to like take pictures of everybody. And like somehow Nick ends up like leaving the apartment with this man and like walks downstairs to his apartment and like he's sitting in his underwear in his bed, like showing him pictures. I'm like, what'd you guys do? Did you like bang? Like, how did you like how did you get to this moment? I did forget about that. But yeah, that is something that I've always, because like, I've read strange. this novel like maybe three times. And every time I come across that, I'm like, where am I? Like, is this a fever dream? <laughs> like, um, how did, how did we get here? Yeah. And it's just interesting to, well, I think it makes it 
kind of feel a little more like this is Nick's diary. Like, you know, cause he's writing to the reader about this story, but he's like, yeah. And the other weird thing that happened this day is like this Somehow dude was sitting in his underwear and anyway, and it even trails off. Like there's an ellipsis and it's like, it's like, anyway, I don't know. <laughs> it literally is like, like I'm as lost thoughts. as you are. <laughs> and that maybe that's funny. why it's like such a like chaotic like dialogue also like it was written in like the 1929 like it's an old book like they definitely did not like organize books the same way they do now like the composition is different but it's just like I had such a hard time keeping up sometimes with like the train of thought or like where we were at because it would just jump around so much well also I feel like a lot of the characters well especially Daisy when Daisy is talking I think she is mentally ill. Like I think she's <laughs> like, manic like half the time. Stroke. Yeah, because she's just like, oh, it's so hot. Let's go to town. <laughs> like, why is it cool in town? It's not. <laughs> or she'll be like talking to Nick and be like, Nick, do you want to kiss me anyway? And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> she really does. She's a little freak, honestly. I don't like Daisy. Daisy's wild. Uh, Things yeah. we disliked, Daisy. Um, the description of Myrtle's dead body. I could have done without that. Was <laughs> Her titty was flapping in the wind. Apparently, she got hit hard. Um, <laughs> I didn't understand that she had gotten hit by a car because it made it sound like <laughs> it sound like someone had like shot her. <laughs> It just got sliced and diced. I don't understand it. How did a gun hit her so hard that her titty came (laughs) Well, how did a car hit her so hard her titty came off? Why is that what happened? It's like the worst description ever. Yeah, it truly is horrifying. I recommend skipping over that part. Um, Uh, And honestly, the book's kind of boring. Yeah, I hated how many times they talked about how hot it was. We also hate how racist Tom is. Like the entire first time we meet Tom and he talks, he's basically talking about like critical race theory and like how like Nordic folk (laughs) need to like remain like the top in population, how the Negroes and the Jews are going to take us over. Yeah, he's actually disgusting. And at one point um, when he's talking about like, well, I think it's whenever Daisy and Gatsby are like gonna run off together. He's like, "What's next? Interracial marriage?" Like, like sir, you're about to be rolling <laughs> in your grave, sir. And I oh. love that like Daisy makes fun of it too. She's like, "I don't know, like the white men are gonna lose their status and like blah blah blah." And she's like, "You silly goose." Yeah, because <laughs> she's she... like so like unaware of what's happening in the world that she's probably like, "That's never gonna happen." She is so naive, and I think that's. She chooses Obviously, to be. because she's coddled. Like, well, she has no reason to like learn about anything because her life is perfect. And like, why should it matter what's going on? Um, she does yeah. have moments of like lucidity though, too, because like she's like, Yeah, you want to know what I said when I had my little girl? Like, I hope that she's a fool, a big, beautiful fool, that because that's all she could ever be in this world. And it's like, oh, that's pretty deep. <laughs> Yeah. So she knows, like, she knows she's like that. Yeah, she does have moments. But also, she is like, I I honestly don't care about my daughter. She's with her nanny somewhere. She's like, like, look at this beautiful girl. (laughs) Anyway, off you go. Off you go. I made that, though. You guys like it? Isn't she neat? (laughs) She's like, wow, it's crazy. It's like a small person is living in my house. Love that. (laughs) She is Regina George's mom. Oh my gosh, she's like a cool mom. She's not a regular mom. She's a cool mom who forgets about her child. 
<laughs> just a little bit though. Like, I mean, <laughs> she remembers her sometimes when her friends are over and she's like, look what I have. Check this shit out. It's going to blow your mind. It can like say sentences, small sentences. She said, how do you say, how do you do? Yeah. Say it, <laughs> she, really, say it. she really did. She was like, say, how do you do? Do it. <laughs> We've already talked a little bit about characters, so let's talk about the rest of the characters. Okay, we talked about Daisy. I would love uh, to talk a little bit more about Daisy because I think some of the things that they say to her, like or like that they say about her, like just solidifies like how much of a monster she is. Because at first, you know, Gatsby is very infatuated with her and like the way that she spoke, like how her voice sounded, like the way she smiled at people. Everyone was just like, oh my God, like I want to be her or with her. Mm-hmm. And so Nick was like trying to describe like how Daisy sounded. He's like, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it. And Gatsby's like, oh, she sounds like money. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, she does sound like money. Like she is the epitome of like old wealth in the United States. Like that is what she represented in this book. And I always thought that was kind of cool. It's like, she's luring you in to like the idea your of happiness. wealth. Yeah. <laughs> and like, she is that unobtainable. Well, and that's the whole thing with Gatsby too. Like all he built this empire and he got all these riches and stuff, but like, like wealth itself or like old money, she is something that is unobtainable. And like, everybody strives to get it. Everybody strives to have her, but unless you come from that same background, you're never going to get her. And that's why her and Tom work so well together is because they are like two sides of the same coin. And so oh, she absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, like, she ends up abandoning Gatsby at the first sign of, like, instability. Like, Tom told her, oh, he gets all his money illegally. Then she fucks up even more when she kills someone. And she's like, okay, well, I'll let Gatsby obviously, take the fall for this. <laughs> yeah, he's going to take the fall for that. And I, I still have Tom. So, like, let's get out of here. Well, and she's like, I can never ruin, like, my reputation. I have a name to uphold here. And she's like, but Gatsby, like, who the hell even is that? Like, let him take the fall. Yeah, and she sure does. Okay, um, now we can move on. I just thought that was very interesting how oh, she is literally old money. Like, she is what old money is. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And then um, Gatsby is the opposite he is just completely self-made but he literally doesn't even care about the money he only cares about daisy um that one thing that he can't obtain he literally throws these giant parties for no other reason other than to impress her and seduce her and nobody at these parties gives a shit about him like none of them showed up to his funeral so it's just a very sad depressing lonely existence Well, and, like, not to get deep again, but also, like, I think, like, he and Daisy, like, represent, you know, the two sides of this. So, like, how with, like, self-made men, like, they can be very successful and they do have a lot of people who flock to them, even people who are from old money because they want to associate themselves with people like that. But the second, you know, they slip up or the second something happens, like, they are forgotten. And it's like that would never happen with somebody who has, like, the status of Daisy, but with people like Gatsby, like everyone just immediately forgot about him because he's not somebody who was like established in society who whose family had like been around for centuries. And so I think that like really goes to show like even now, like the people who are like self-made, like it takes one mess up and like you're forgotten forever. The only thing he had to offer them was his money. But because he didn't have, like, the status of, like, a, a well-known family. Yeah. He doesn't have, like, that existing social standing outside of 
the money. So when he's dead, he's literally no one. He comes from nothing. So like, if he's not actively throwing a giant party, like who is he? Like he's no one. He's dead. And that's the American dream. So if you're self-made, go fuck yourself. And you know, that top 1%, you keep doing you. Yeah. (laughs) Love that for you. Love Um, that for you. I actually don't. Yeah, go (laughs) eat the rich. So Let's talk a tiny bit about Nick because he is also from a well-established family. He like descends from a Duke of something. I can't remember, but he doesn't care about these people. He is like, I am so sick of these assholes, like ruining everybody's lives, causing problems for everybody, like flaunting their wealth. He was like, I am moving and I am going to work for myself and Like he is like, I'm trying to get away from these assholes, but then he moves out East and, and what's there waiting for him? The assholes. Well, More I assholes. think he is definitely like very much representing like middle-class America. Like, even though he comes from like a well-off family, like him himself in this book, like is representing like middle-class and like just watching the absolute like buffoonery of like the upper class. Yeah. And same with like the, like the Wilsons. Yeah. Because they live kind of in that, in that like, in between. So they're like the, I guess the lower I would say class. they're probably lower, like impoverished, like. Yeah, type. like the poor. And they're in this valley of ashes. And it's just like the complete destruction <laughs> that's like in between the, the big city and these beautiful islands where the wealthy people live. And it's like just completely, utterly destroyed by industrialism and the rich. And then, yeah, you have Myrtle who had like bigger dreams for herself and then settled with Tom who, or not Tom, with George, who I'm sure she did love at one point in time. But when she saw what, you know, people of of higher status could offer her, she was like, well, I want that and I'll get to it any way I can. And like Gatsby, I think it's kind of the same situation. Like she did everything she could to build herself up to like get this love that she wanted. And she ended up just being, you know, somebody that someone used for a means to an end. Yeah. And paid the ultimate price. And Tom and Daisy's recklessness was killed because like, she just didn't actually matter to Tom and Tom, he like, he cried and he tells Nick, Oh, I cried so much. I cried for, for weeks up in Myrtle and I's old apartment. Like Tom, you broke Buddy. a nose like last week. What are yeah, you, you literally about? <laughs> abused this woman, treated her like trash. And the moment you thought you were going to lose her became enraged. And when you did actually lose her, you were like, damn it, that sucks. Ah, oh, double nuts. It happened <laughs> again. <laughs> like no one feels bad for you, Tom. And then you have the eyes of TJ Eckelberg just watching over all of this nonsense, um, acting as God. <laughs> yeah the eyes over New York not intervening even a little bit whenever George was talking to Michaelis he even he's telling him he said I told her she might fool me but she can't fool God I took her to the window and it says standing behind him Michaelis saw with a shock he was looking at the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg and then he goes on to say that the eyes of God see everything she's doing and so it's like, it's judging it's the symbolism. moral wasteland of society, yeah. which is what this is. Like we were seeing like the worst of the worst. 
Yeah, in the Valley of Ashes where they live and where that sign resides, um, it's literally in a state of decay. And it's just associated with the unchecked pursuit of money and power surrounding it in New York City proper and in the West and East eggs. And then we already talked about the Wilsons being the poor victims of selfish, wealthy people. And um, an additional symbol throughout the book is the green light at the end of the dock. So on page 93, um, Nick is watching Daisy and Gatsby interact at Gatsby's house for the first time. And he said, possibly it had occurred to him that the colossal significance of that light had now vanished forever. Compared to the great distance that had separated him from Daisy, it has seemed very near to her, almost touching her. It had seemed as close as a star to the moon. Now it was again a green light on a dock. His count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. So to Gatsby, that green light symbolized his very hopes and dreams of um, marrying Daisy. Everything he so creepily worked for. He made enough money to buy a house across the bay from the love of his life to secretly stalk her and trick her into coming to his neighbor's house one day. Honestly, Gatsby... Gatsby baby. That's simp behavior. Um, and then at the ending, Nick is again staring out at the light. Um, at this point, you know, Gatsby's dead. And he's thinking of the hopes and dreams of Gatsby. But he also, I think, is seeing the green light as a sign of forgiveness. And he forgives Gatsby and the others in that moment. Whenever he runs into Tom at the end, he at first he was like, I'm not shaking hands with you. Like you're a complete horrible person. psychopath. <laughs> but on um, the second to last page, he says, I shook hands with him. It seems silly not to, for I felt suddenly as though I were talking to a child. Then he went into a jewelry store to buy a pearl necklace or perhaps only a pair of cuff buttons rid of my provincial squeamishness forever. So Nick is like, honestly, I can't stay mad at them. They're like children. children they don't know what they're doing and i mean obviously they should it's no excuse um we're not defending these people but he's like what good does it do to be mad at them when they aren't recognizing that right. they're in the wrong well and that can be said for anybody in that like position of society it's like well that's all they've ever known like how can we expect them to act any different so it's really just like it comes down to nobody's holding them accountable and like nobody's going to hold them accountable because they see it as a lost cause which just causes more problems yeah and i mean again not excusing behavior but it definitely explains it yeah um so nick is looking at the the green light He said, and as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. And it's just so, so Nick depressing. is like, 
the pattern just keeps repeating itself. Like these people will never learn. Things will never change. We just keep trying harder and we keep growing and we think something's going to change, but we don't actually work towards it. Like maybe something will change. Like, yeah. How to, or even if you do work toward it, you're like, I am going to work hard. I'm going to change it. And then you get shot or you get hit by a random car. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, just, you get struck down. You get struck down by the world because it'd be like that. So that was like a super cool commentary on the state of our <laughs> social standings. What is that TikTok? It's like, it's a, it's a commentary. It's a on social communism. commentary on communism. Uh, <laughs> this book is not about communism, but no, uh, but it is about the different. It classes. is a social commentary. It is about the different classes classism. in United States. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure it applies elsewhere as well, but just the United States being so young. With it, yeah, I mean, like that is right people. after World, World War One. Like we're past like industrial revolutionism. Like we are on to like the great like building of like stocks and bonds and like becoming yeah. like self-made men and women. And it was really oh, no. that era of you mentioned like the American dream, but it, like unironically, yeah. yeah, it was. It, that it time. was the era of the American dream. It's like sad. immigrants were coming over to make better lives for them and their families. And well, yeah. Just- and they talked about that too, because I mean, like everyone was racist in this book and also like anti-Semitic, but like they talked quite a bit about like African-Americans who like had higher social standing, like, wow, you see strange things every day, don't you? And then you had like <laughs> Wolfsheim who was basically running this underground, like bootlegging system and like, Jewish people did not have like a great reputation I feel like during this period of time and so like there were a lot of very anti-semitic statements and like they were not viewed to be like yeah. <laughs> socially acceptable people and that you society. might say like, some some real crazy things were brewing especially over in the in crazy <laughs> um but it's just like everyone's told though like you can, you know, work your way up or you can start your own stuff. It doesn't matter how you do it as long as you, you know, make enough money to get you where you want to be. And it's like, but only if you're white. Yeah. And you come from old money. Exactly. And I mean, I can't say much has changed on that front. No, it's like, this is very much still relevant today. And that's probably why it is still a very popular book because it does have great parallels to today's society. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, I think it'll be relevant for a long time. (laughs) And the last thing we wanted to talk about was F. Scott Fitzgerald and his wife, Zelda. F. Scott Fitzgerald, just I guess we'll start with a little history about him. Um, So he actually served in World War One. Very similar to Nick and Gatsby in this story. Um, but him and Zelda, they had just a very like tumultuous relationship. Lots of crazy stuff happened um during their time together, and like it ended in tragedy for Scott and then also tragedy for Zelda because she spent her time in, in a sailing asylum. But basically, um, they met shortly after he had served in World War One. Um, her name was Zelda Sayer. Um, and she was 18 years old and she was the daughter of a judge. And um, he met her at a country club dance in Montgomery, Alabama, um, where he was stationed at the time. And they ended up getting married shortly after. But their start actually mirrored 
Daisy and Gatsby's very similarly. Obviously, like Zelda was a little higher in society because her father was a judge. Um, Scott was very poor, not well off. He was making military pay and her family did not think he was, you know, worth her time. And he was not going to be able to provide for her, similar to how Daisy thought her family would react to Gatsby. Um, They spent their time, like, writing letters to each other, professing their affections to each other, and, like, spent a lot of time apart and eventually did get married. But their starts were very, very similar to how Daisy and Gatsby were, but they got a little bit of a happier ending, I guess, for a short period of time. But (laughs) um, she was kind of crazy. Miss Zelda was. Um, So they had her committed um, after she had their one and only child, Francis, also known as Scotty. And so she did spend her time like seeking treatment and stuff. And during that time, like broke away from Scott um, and like to get her back and like support her. He ended up like dating this lady from Hollywood. And so like cheated on Zelda, like did all this stuff, but it was in the name of love, like Tom. And so like, I don't know, like, I feel like Zelda, I feel like Zelda actually wrote a bunch of this book and like, she was bashing F Scott Fitzgerald because he was like these terrible men that we see in this book. And there's even evidence of that. When Zelda had Francis, she said basically the exact same thing that Daisy said about her daughter when she had her. And Zelda basically was like, yeah, I hope she's a fool because that's the only thing she ever can be in this world. So there's an Amazon series. It's called Z, The Beginning of Everything. So it's an Amazon drama about the lives of F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. But while it is dramatized, it is based in truth as well. Nancy Milford wrote a biography called Zelda, which drew from years of conversations with Zelda's friends and family. And that became one of the first major biographies to tackle like the whole woman behind the man argument. Mm -hmm. In this novel by Milford, uh, it mentions that Scott Fitzgerald borrowed liberally from Zelda's diaries for his work and often suppressed her writing efforts. But Zelda had a playful enthusiasm for her own role in his writing. And it says the two were mutually obsessed and often tangled their successes together. So they had a very toxic relationship. Um, In 1934, they wrote two joint essays cataloging every hotel they had ever stayed in and every item they had ever purchased since their wedding night, which sounds very boring. This says Scott's sexual jealousy and desire for fame might have hampered his wife's creativity, but as Milford Chronicles, Zelda also suffered from debilitating mental mental illness, and they thought that today her diagnosis may potentially be manic depression. Um, She also struggled to motivate herself as a result of that mental illness. In an early letter to Scott, Zelda noted of her own writing, I'll never get ambitious enough to try anything. It's so much nicer to be sure I could do it better than other people. And I might not. That, of course, would break my heart. So it could just be that she was potentially too scared to publish her own writing in her own name. And so maybe she consented to Scott publishing things that she wrote. I'm I'm not sure that we'll ever really know. Yeah, it's definitely worth to the grave. <laughs> Yeah, they sure did. But I believe that we should credit Zelda in especially this book. It seems like this book is is one of those situations where he might have borrowed from her diary. Um, (laughs) He's like, wow, look at these terrible men. He's like, also, I got this from my wife's diary. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, they're about me. It's about me. <laughs> um, and by the way, these uh, articles are from the Washington Post and the New Yorker, in case you guys wanted Two to. Two of our favorite news sites. Yeah, I, I have favorite news sites because I'm cultured. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I So earlier, my cousin sent me a text and it included an article link and it was posted in the Washington Post. And I clicked on it to read it, but it was like, you have to subscribe to read this. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm actually horrible. I'm like, no, I want my news for free. What's wrong with me? Anyway, I actually do subscribe to the New York Times because I like reading it, but no, like I 100% should because otherwise, you know, free news is not necessarily good news. Yeah, <laughs> like free news is like probably inaccurate news. You should definitely, all of you listeners, definitely subscribe to at least one news source, like one you credible, you know unbiased news source. I resolve to subscribe to a credible, unbiased news source. That will be my resolution for the next month. I'll, I'll do that. I'll it's not ex- it's not very expensive it's like a dollar 99 it's a month not, I'm just like always like too lazy I'm on my phone and it's like subscribe now and I don't have my debit card near me and it's like come it's on like, ah, I don't have that memorized bummer <laughs> well no that yeah that's a good thing that I don't otherwise shit would go down I would spend way I would too have much. no money <laughs> what like what? Yeah, because I have so much money right now. Anyway, join us next week. <laughs> we are going to be discussing some of the recommendations that we have had for future episodes and kind of like what they're about, what their ratings are, and see what, you know, what kind of things what we may be, be popping out in the future. Absolutely. So if you have any recommendations for the future, go ahead and email those to us at the sisterswarden at gmail.com. Uh, or you can message us on any of our social media pages, and those are all listed on our website. Which or you can go to our website, website, yeah, and just send it in through that way, too. <laughs> yeah, I believe it has an email us link at the bottom. So that's bestfriendsbookclub.com. So yeah, we'll see you next week. And as always, let's get lit. Bye.